Welcome to Fangirl Happy Hour for Tuesday, August 11, 2015. This is Anna, and I'm the Brazilian one. Today, we are looking back at our history vaults once again. We start with Titan AE, an animated movie highly recommended by Renee. Then, we go back to the 70s to read X-Men Giant Size issue number one, which I totally tricked Renee into reading. Finally, we come back to 2015 and talk about reviews, most specifically how we read and react to them. With me to dig into all of these things is my fellow fangirl Renee. Hi, Renee. Hello, Anna. Hello. You did trick me into reading this comic. I totally did, didn't I? Yeah, it was really good. Good work. Good work. <laughs> I have some thoughts. <laughs> well, don't we all? <laughs> it's really complicated, I think. So, how are you doing? Do you have anything to talk to us about? I am doing okay. Uh, I posted a review of The End of All Things by John Skelty on Barnes & Noble. I'm happy to report back that he actually linked to my review on his blog and quoted me. He has a great appreciation for the word Wrolic, which I, which <laughs> I am excited about. That's awesome. I, I was, the review is basically a love letter. I pretty much love all John Scalzi's books, except for Red Shirts, which just confused me. It's not the book's fault. It's just mine. I wasn't a Star Trek nerd. Oh, yes. I remember you saying that. And then Sunil was on Twitter was like, have you read Agents of the Stars? I'm like, no, I haven't. Because it was back when I was catching up on all his books, I was mostly using like public resources, and I didn't have a lot of money. So I have not read Agents of the Stars. So... There's a John Skelly book out there that I get to read soon. It's his first novel. It was his oh. It was his test novel, the novel he wrote to see if he could write a novel. And apparently Sunil so was like, Motherfucker can like write write a, a test, test novel, novel and it's just as good as a regular book. I'm like, Oh, that's that sounds like John Skelly. So when this episode goes live, I'm gonna be in Memphis meeting John Skelly. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, that's gonna be so cool. I never heard the concept. I heard about the concept of a test novel. That's news to me. Is that, is they that call a it a. They call it a. It's called a trunk novel too. I think is another term for it. That's what. That's what I call it. Like a novel that you write, just to not to publish, but like to practice. Right. Uh, trunk novels are also novels that um, aren't publishable. I guess in the current market, like that you've shopped around and nobody wants it. I'm sure a bunch of writers are going to be like email, like email us and go, "You're wrong, Renee." I'm like, "I'm sorry, I don't know all the terms. <laughs> I'm so hard out there." But yeah, I'm actually writing one right now for my oh. friend Susan, and so she's been a huge cheerleader for me for a long, long time. I went to her because I know if I write something terrible, she's not going to give me like she's not going to be like too judgmental or too critical. She'll be like she'll give me good feedback, but she's not going to like destroy my hopes and dreams. So I've got a bunch of prompts from her about what she would like to see in a, in, in a space opera. And my goal is 80,000 words, and I'm running it for her, and nobody else is going to see it. Okay, that's interesting. But then John Scalz has got his published, then. Well, yeah, but he has, like, this really weird patch to publishing where he published it all online, right, before... Oh, that's true! And, I forget about that. And Tor came to him and was like, hey, we want this, and that's sort of how he became an author. And it's happening quite a lot these days. I mean, days, yeah, isn't that it? happened to. I think that also happened to um, Catherine, Michael Sullivan as well. Catherine Valenti. She was doing her Fairyland story like as a serial online, I think. Yes, yes. And then it became a published book. 
and then it's also happening in self-publishing, right? You'll see a lot of self-published books yeah. go out, and then the publishers will come pick them up, like Saga Press. Del Monte picked up Linda Nagata's, I forget what that series is called, The Red. And then The Martian got self-published and was picked up and traditionally published. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a lot. It's, it's happening. It's happening a lot. But I think John Scalzi was, like, one of the first people like because he was he's been blogging for a long time he's been blogging since like the not like the er, like late 90s or something early 90s so yeah, yeah. That's a a cutting edge john scalzi yes well that when is. you're on the internet that long it's kind of hard not to be cutting edge so, so what's up so what what is up with you nothing really it's been quite quiet week i went to a spa last weekend wow a spa that's fancy I know it's just like my because I hadn't seen my partner in a month oh so the whole of July he was away and so he came back and he surprised me with a let's go away this weekend and just relax and reconnect <laughs> so we went to a spa about one hour from here and it was lovely That's I, nice. I didn't take my computer I didn't read. I was not even online for most of the time. We just, we slept a lot. We, we walked a lot in the countryside, which was lovely. Had tea and scones and Indian food. And then had a couple of spa treatments. I had a facial and I just bored everybody to death. No, that sounds amazing. Like that sounds super (laughs) relaxing. And I would love to do that, except I'm too overworked. I have too much stuff to do. It was just so nice. I mean, probably the spa stuff. I don't want people to touch me too much. But all the other stuff, like the sleeping part and the scones, just give me like 16 of those and I'll just eat them. It was really nice. And the the hotel itself, it it used to be a manor house. Wow. That that was first built in 1058 or something. House is old as balls. Good job. So the so the oldest part of the hotel still had like uh, the old features from that earlier building. So that was pretty cool. Sounds Um, neat. Yeah, it was really lovely. It was really nice. Then I came back and everything went to shit. (laughs) Back to reality. Where back to reality where there's just piles of poop everywhere yeah and the hugos oh god oh wow the stats came out right and yes exactly so you quoted some of them record-breaking stats we're like more more people voted on this on this year's hugos than people attended the convention the past 10 years or something I don't know. They gave like a new voting stat. Where like voting stat was voting participation was up like fifty to fifty. It was like fifty seven percent or something. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So what does that mean, Renee? What does it all mean? Are they are they all us people like us, or are they all puppies? Are they the enemy or are they friendly? <laughs> oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> and this is why James May stalked you on Twitter. Uh, whatever. <laughs> Well, it's not that long. It's not the 22nd, oh. 21st yeah. or something? 22nd. 22nd. Yeah, right. Because you're, exactly. you're going to be in New York. Yes, I'll be in New York. And, well, I'll be screaming at each other via the internet. <laughs> yep. So that's going to be fun. So let's see what happens. Yep. So it's done now. It's done. Not over, but done. Well, until the announcement, then that's going to be two months yes. of blank. So, yes. <laughs> enjoy this calm period before the internet explodes again. 
Poor file 770. I'm so sorry, dude. I hope you take a nice, long vacation this holiday season. I don't know. I'm very curious. As you know. As our listeners know by now. They are like, like, they're like, oh, God, not the Hugos again. Fast forward. <laughs> so maybe we should fast forward. So let's do this. Speaking of explosions and science fiction, we are now going to be talking about Titan AE. An animated sci-fi movie from the year 2000 with the voices of Matt Damon and Drew Barrymore, among others. Against a post-apocalyptic scenario and featuring a ragtag group of misfits trying to save humankind, Titan E is a movie I hadn't even heard before our Matt Damon conversation a few episodes back when Renee said it was awesome. So I got curious and here we are. You love this movie. Or you used to love this movie? How many times have you watched it? There's not a number high enough for that. <laughs> I've watched this movie a lot. Okay, how young were you when you were watching this okay, movie? Okay, I was a teenager, right? I went to the theater to see this movie. Okay. And I was really into Don Bluth animation. And so it came out and it was it was like it was a big deal like cuz they were they used like a special animating technique which just looks terrible now and the computer graphics and It's just so horrible. Sorry. It's really not good. <laughs> like it does not age well at all. It doesn't. It's so awkward looking. It's so 90s, you know? It's got that really it's like a very obviously space adventure that was made in the 90s. You can tell. It was just I'm sorry. I just I got really distracted watching it because i couldn't get over like what is this is this is this a disney movie but with computer, uh, computer no generation? right it was super like the animation it's just... itself is super distracting because the backgrounds are like just really like lush animation and then it's hand-drawn yes and they are like flying with these beautiful uh helmets and beautiful uh spacesuits and then but his face is is, is a disney cartoon Yes, it's super, like, back when I watched this, like, I didn't go to the movies a lot as a kid, because the theater was, like, 40 minutes away, and it was expensive, and I couldn't, I didn't have a car, so I couldn't go to the movies, so I didn't go to the movies that much until I hit, you know, my teen years, and I got, I made friends who had cars, and the reason I went to see this movie in the theater was that my, one of my friends met a dude online, and wanted to meet him, and so me and another friend and her went to the theater to see this movie together and okay so let's just spoil the movie now because the story is so terrible <laughs> me and my friend daniel were watching this movie and we were enjoying it because we enjoy like space adventures and we were yeah. sitting in this theater and the movie is obvious it's a kids movie so if you get to the end of the movie and the big secret is that the humans have hidden a planet creating spaceship yeah that's like an arc that yes. can create life and a galaxy yeah basically but it's out of energy of course the main villain the dredge are pure energy right they say they say it like three seconds later (laughs) it's it's a kids movie okay so me and daniel have figured this out way before this because it's <laughs> like we're like oh that's cute like it's a cute idea like okay neat okay so this guy that my friend went to meet is sitting there like wrapped and he's older than us he's like he's like in his mid-20s and he's sitting there and he they say the, the character i can't i think corso says it the dredge are pure energy and so tom goes on the movie continues the movie explains what's happening and what they're doing and then yep. 
a few minutes later, like, after everybody else, even the little kids in the theater, have understood what's happening, <laughs> this guy goes, oh, the dreads are pure energy. And he sounds so <laughs> amazed. And uh, me and Dale just died. We're just like, oh, my God. <sighs> so probably some of my fondness for this movie comes from the fact that I saw it with a friend. And we, were, like, we just had this moment together where we're like, oh, my God. That's nice. That's really nice. I, I watched it last night, no, two nights ago, with my partner, who is a physics teacher. Oh, no, no. Why would you do yes. that? That's a terrible idea. I didn't know, Renee. But then in the end, when this ball of this planet thing explodes and becomes a galaxy, and that happens within seconds, my partner was like, what the fuck is this shit? <laughs> The galaxy, our galaxy, took literally billions of years to be created. Do they want us to believe this happened in seconds? <laughs> yes, yes, I, I realize now that I have lost your partner's respect for life. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm only a little sorry, though. Maybe it was like, they were like really upset. <laughs> because like, it's like the... It's the stupidest concept, right? It's like okay, the un- like the 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 idea behind the ship, right? The Titan is not terrible. It's like been done no, before, it's cool. it's but the fact like- that they built this whole planet and apparently, yeah. like they, they they the movie starts at like fifteen after like fifteen AE after Earth, and then they they're on the planet at sixteen AE, but they're wearing the same clothes, yeah. and like not it looks like it's three seconds later. Yeah. Instead of maybe months. Maybe the movie wanted to think there were months. Because, like, later you see people coming toward yes. the planet. Yeah. So maybe it did take months. But the movie didn't communicate maybe. this. So it just looks no. like it happened the very next second. Not at all. Not at all. And I, I was just like, oh. It was, you were doing. And then, and then, and then what, Renee? And then the, the, the energy kind of infuses all the DNA inside the giant ball. And then everything is created? Is that, is that, is, is the energy magic? Maybe. If, if energy is magic, then okay. Well, then I... it's a space movie for kids <laughs> from the 90s. So I didn't really think about it that <laughs> deeply back then. <laughs> I didn't really care so much. I was just really excited about Akima. Oh, yes, absolutely. She was the fav- my favorite thing about the movie. She was so great. Yes, she was super great. But there were a lot of really cool things about it as well. Like, you said that it's a kid's movie, but, like, there is this scene where someone just breaks one of the characters' neck, right? Yeah. On screen. And I was like, whoa, that's violent for... Welcome to the 90s when you could still get away with that crap. Wow. If you go... Have you seen The Last Unicorn, the movie? No. Oh, my God. If you you think that this movie was a little bit mature for children, you should really go watch The Last Unicorn, the 1970s version. Or maybe it came out in the early 80s, I can't remember. So this was, The Last Unicorn movie was one of my introductions to fantasy. And let me just put it this way. I rented it from a, like a video rental place back when VHSs were a thing. And I put it in my VCR and the people before me hadn't rewound it. So the first scene I ever saw of The Last Unicorn was a magician tied to a tree and that tree coming to life and the knots in the tree became boobs and, the, and his face was like pressed into her cleavage. 
And I was just, and this was like little kid me going, what's happening? (laughs) So really, go back and watch The Last Unicorn because it's so. Should we we make that one? We should probably watch that together and then I could, (laughs) and then we could just have a whole segment where we're just dying laughing. Yeah, so no, the the violence and mature concepts in kids' movies have been kind of eradicated over the last three decades. It's Everything has been really sanitized, um, even though violence is still bad. But, like, everything else gets has gotten kind of washed away. Although I, re- I recognize that probably for the last seven years I've foregone most of the kids' yeah. like, stuff, except for, like, Avatar, which was amazing. But, yeah, like, back in the 90s, you could get away with that stuff. And kid stuff. Like, I watched so much, so much crazy shit aimed at kids <laughs> that maybe shouldn't have been aimed at kids. Well, that with that said, I actually read a book just last night, like, completely going on a tangent here. So, um, I read a children's book uh, by Diana Wynne-Jones from 1981. And the book is a children's book, but it's a horror novel. The main characters are all children, and they are neglected abused and the story kind of ends with the main character growing up in an abusive relationship with her boyfriend who throws her off a car and then she breaks most of the body of the bones in her body and this is how she becomes a ghost and goes back into the past to remember how how terrible her childhood it was that's a children's book and i just spoiled it for everybody sorry well, so that's happened, I guess. I don't think I'm going to read that book. I was just, my my mind was, what is this? This is amazing. And also so dark. So I don't know. I feel you... like kids can handle dark, some dark things better than adults can. Adults get adults bring all their baggage and yeah, knowledge because, to, th- yes. to things. And kids just don't, right? Kids yeah. are really, kids are really good at like self-policing their own material if they don't understand. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I can see how that could be a kid's book. Yeah, but I, I can, I couldn't see this book being written today. I don't think. No, probably not. I've read pretty dark YA. I don't think I have read middle grades that was this dark ever before this one. But Titan AE. So it, re- it really reminded me of Firefly and also Battlestar Galactica. I was going to say Firefly too. There's a reason for this. Joss Whedon worked on the screenplay. So yeah. I was sitting, like halfway through the thing, I was sitting and going, hmm, why does this seem so familiar to me? This is so familiar. Yeah, same. And, I, I felt the same thing. And then we get to the Drifter Colony, the part of the movie where they're at the Drifter Colony. And the people at the Drifter Colony are, uh, I guess, Chinese. Chinese. Um, and yep. then there's some there's some black characters, and I'm just like I know why this seems familiar. It's because it's got all the universe is populated. It's it's pretty diverse actually for yeah. like a movie that's made. Except it still has the problem of like the white hero. So yep. I'm just like this is why it reminded me of Firefly, because <laughs> Joss Whedon sure does love to populate his like universes with diverse characters. But then, like, they're not really represented that well in the main cast. Yeah. So I think that's why I got this feeling, this Firefly-esque feeling. Yeah, I thought it reminded me of Firefly quite a lot, too. 
some of the things inside the spaceship with the group together and um, the different groupings that they had with each other was actually very reminiscent of, of Firefly. And, you know, Titan is before Firefly, so maybe Joss was like, oh, that was a good idea there. Let's expand on it. But I also, it also reminded me of Battlestar Galactica with um, what the name of what's the name of the enemies, the villains again, the Crash Cylons. Yeah, no, but in Titan. Oh, uh, the Dredge, yeah. Dredge, yeah. So kind of reminded me of the Cylons. They looked like Cylons. I have never seen Battlestar Galactica. I mean, I've seen Ah! I've seen episodes of it. How am I supposed to watch it? It's not on Netflix anymore. They took it away. You're just like over there. I just got. I just earned another pop culture shame point. I was certain you had watched it. No, I've never. I've seen it, and he tried to get me to watch it, and I didn't like some, one of the characters. I forget his name now. Ball, ball, Balthar. Balthar. Yeah, I didn't like him. He just annoyed the crap out of me, and it felt. It felt like every time I was watching an episode, there he'd be, main character of the episode. I'm like, I don't like you. Go away. <laughs> I'm just like, can I just, can we go back to, what was her name, Kara? Yes. I was like, can we just, can this show just be about her? That'd be great. Yeah, I know. So, okay, that's why I haven't seen that. Um, Eventually I'll see it. I'm sure one of these days it'll be back on Netflix, or I can just rent it from somewhere, I'm sure. And I'll watch it. You're just like over there judging me right now. Feel it. I feel it. (laughs) I feel you judging me right now. Well, you know, in fairness, I only watched it this year. <laughs> okay, well, now I feel a little better. Okay, now I see how it is. So, but no, I've seen like a few episodes, so I can see how you would. I see how you could compare. Yeah, because it's also that that hunt for like a new home. Yes, well. and you know the enemies of humans killing them and going after them. You know, if there's only a handful of humans, people just let them go. How could it be a threat anymore? Like, they are not. That was a part of the movie that was never like really truly yes, explained. Get, get, get over it, Craig. I'm the, like, Kredge. okay, oh, like yeah. why? Okay, the human threat. Okay, they're a threat, but why? What about the yes, humans? It's so bad. Like, I mean, the movie tried to sort of explain it, but it was never really the motivation was just really never. Yeah, kind of like you no. Know, at least the silence had you know. Because they were created by humans, so kind of like that had that grudge that they were mistreated for such a long time. So I get it. That would have been cool if the humans had created the dredge. Exactly, but, but they maybe didn't. they did, but we we just don't know. Well, so, who knows? Well, we, we couldn't have had we could have had that explanation. They had to do some pretty flying sequences. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> we didn't. Uh, Wikipedia, because I was reading up on it, Wikipedia tells me that this was the first major motion picture screened in an end-to-end digital cinema. What does that mean? I assume that it was the first picture screened. <laughs> so like a digital it's theater it's without digital, like film? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's kind of neat. Yeah. So there you go. A little bit of history with our vaults. <laughs> Uh, uh, And also coming with our history is Renee's bad taste in movies. (laughs) Well, we did watch um, Bill and Ted's Most Excellent Adventures. I'm sorry, but like, that was was not that bad. It was funny. Yes, but this one was not that bad either. It was weird. You kept saying weird, but how was it weird? Was it just the the animation? The animation was so weird to me. I just kept, kept looking away. 
So, uh, as you know, that did not go very far because I'm not sure another mo- like I'm not sure this technique went anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. It didn't Probably survive. Didn't. There was a very good scene though that I thought was so beautiful, which is the one that they visit that planet with the hydrogen balloons, the mm-hmm. hydrogen trees. That scene was beautiful. Like the art there was amazing. I really but, did like the world building they did, like with the broken. It was called the Broken Moon of Seshirim. Yeah. Yes, I know all the place names in this movie. Um, oh. and then the ice, the ice rings of Tigran. Like all the locations in this movie were like really, really pretty, and they did a, like a really good job with the art. So that's a that's a bonus. Bonus. They yeah, made space that. look really pretty. Like also that scene where uh, Kale is flying the ship with the wake angels. Also oh, yeah. really pretty. Yeah. So the art was nice. I will yeah. mind about the art. But the combination of that with the... Hand-drawn animation, hand- which is really weird. I 50s. agree. Like, the main character looked like someone out of Cinderella. <laughs> and he looked like Cinderella, too, because he was so blonde. I say that uh. like it's a bad thing. I'm blonde, people. <laughs> and so another thing I noticed is that Akima, although she was Asian, I, yeah. I don't think we're we're never really told which like which Asian community has ported it in space. So we're like, it's never really made clear. But she's voiced by what actress? Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore is a great voice voice actress. I have no problems with her as a voice actress. But of course, this person of color is voiced by a white person. Yeah. And then look at the roles they gave to um, the other. Other people of color, like John Leguizamo, was an alien. Tone Loke was an alien. Oh. Uh, I was like, oh, movie. <laughs> why? Well, I mean, there's a reason why. Yeah. But why? Anyway, so that was a thing that happened. It was just made me really uncomfortable when I was watching the credits. I'm like, mm, awkward, guys. Because, I mean, there's a habit, right, in science fiction. The the aliens become, if they're voiced by people, they become, you know, they're voiced by people of color. Like, there's a bunch of drama um, about Lupita Nyong'o with her uh, part in Star Wars, where she's yeah. this gorgeous woman, and they're putting a bunch of CGI on her to make oh. her an alien. And, like, there's this trend in science fiction of doing this to... Especially uh, black actors. So the fact that you could see this in the casting for this movie made me really uncomfortable. Yeah. I still like this movie, though. Still, Do you? I mean, it's it's not... It's just goofy entertainment. Like, it's really not good. But it's, it's, it is it is what it is. You know, if you want some... You want to turn your mind off and watch some space adventures for you know, an hour or so. It's not a bad choice. Oh. Like, you have, you have like, a bunch of heroic female characters and uh, a palatable white dude hero you know the female characters they were all very kick-ass they were like the strongest ones in physical ability mm-hmm. and they just went just punching people in the faces I love those yeah I like the moment where Akima it gets picked up and they're going to rescue her in quotes yeah and, and she's like she's already kicked everybody's ass she's already beaten the people up and she's like oh there you are yeah. What, what kept like, you? What's it so long? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good moment. Uh, although I would have liked to see the actual scene, guys. That would have been nice. Yes, exactly. 
he said we got stuck with Kale playing with the energy things. And it's like, what? What was up with that anyway? So that, anyway. So that's your opinion on this movie. So you, you thought it was weird. I thought it was too weird for me to be able to fully enjoy it. Fully, but and I, I enjoy a few things. And I, <laughs> I tortured your partner. I'm so sorry. Yes. Yes. Uh, so pass along my apologies for. I shall do that. Are you happy with the discussion? I think that you have a lot of regrets. You're like, you don't get to choose anything forever. <laughs> this is the last <laughs> thing you get to choose. No. You're welcome, this Anna. The, you're this welcome. is the best thing. You're welcome for you're welcome for me requesting. Although on the other hand, I did watch the Twelve Monkeys thing, so exactly. I think I feel like that was pretty fucking weird. So we're 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 yes. we're equal now. So. Yeah, even okay. Okay. Titan AE is available on DVD and Netflix. If you, like me, is curious to watch it, let us know what you think. If you have already watched the movie, what did you think of it? Do you have giant love for it? Speaking of giant, prompted by my recent discovery of that awesome podcast Rachel and Miles Explain the X-Men, I duped Renee into reading Giant Size X-Men issue 1. Coming all the way from 1975 to burst in full bright colors into our eye sockets, this was a reboot of X-Men that introduced an entire new team of heroes after a five-year break. I am super curious, Renee. What did you think of it? Okay, so when I first opened (laughs) this to read it, Zach was with me, and I started reading it to him. I, I was reading it like it was written, which is like really dramatic, and the word, like it's... some of the words, were bolded, and so I was just, I'd, I would just be reading it in this really over the top voice. And... It's just so theatrical. And, it's amazing. And as I was reading it to him, I'm like, "Aren't you enjoying? Aren't you enjoying this?" And then I read another page. He's like, "I don't feel like you're taking this seriously." <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> "What do you mean? I'm taking it totally seriously. I'm reading it like it's written." <laughs> this is how they meant for you to read it right because everything is in italics and bold it's like an eighth grade uh, like an like a script by an eighth grader who's just getting into like comic writing it's perfect <laughs> oh. right okay so is it, was this your first x-men yes i've never read an x-men comic before that's interesting. I have, as you know, I've read a lot of X-Men. You have? You are an expert at X-Men comics compared to me. I, that was like 20 years ago, though. So I read a lot of those back then, and I really enjoyed them to the point where I have a, I have a lot of nostalgia for X-Men. And I love the movies, and I keep watching the movies, and but I haven't read the comics in a long, long time. So going back to read this, of course I don't know how the X-Men are being written right now but this from 1975 is hilarious it's so theatrical it's so over the top there is this narrator right that is outside the story and just introducing everybody and like you said it's like it's full of exclamation marks and bold and there is this one thing that i wanted to talk about that was how they presented a cyclops that I thought was hilarious. Where is it? I'm going to look for it and then I'll read it. But, you know, the thing about this comic is that it introduces the X-Men, the main X-Men as we know them. Although the team has expanded quite a lot. Storm, Cyclops, 
Wolverine are quite possibly the most popular X-Men to this day, especially Wolverine. Wolverine is everywhere, has its own comics, appears in all of sorts of places. So, and this was his first appearance in an X-Men comic. Before, apparently, he appeared briefly on the Hulk comic, but this was the first time that he he joins the team. This is an iconic piece of comics um, for the X-Men. I'm not sure how good an introduction it is. I don't know how you feel about the characters, if you if you felt connected to any of them, if you felt interested in any of them. But, for example, I love Nightcrawler. I've always loved him. And when, when he was in the first X-Men movie a couple of years ago, I was so excited about it. Let me just look for this image. Ah, this one. It says... This is Cyclops. He's a professional. This is Star-Crossed Mutant. <laughs> Star-Crossed Mutant. That's hilarious. So do you have anything that you liked about it? Or anything that made you excited? I am having some feelings. <laughs> so this is my first introduction to X-Men comics. And a lot of these characters... It's just the time. It's just the time when it was written. Like, the whole comic. They just spend the the whole time, like, snarking at each other and sniping and being assholes to one another. Uh, oh, yeah. But especially, the, um, especially the male characters. I know that writing has changed. Like, as we've grown as a culture, our writing has gotten more nuanced and it's gotten better. And just looking back at this comic, like, this is the stuff that, you know teenagers writing stuff on like fanfiction.net would write like this is what it sounds like a comic like this would never be published today with this type of writing so i was just like oh my god we've come so far but i know but maybe this this will explain the bad rap that comics used to have you know yeah where Um, where the the dialogue just was really it's really childish it's really it's, it's really theatrical like like I feel like it's written in a in a theatrical way. Yeah, everybody's expressions are so over the top, and so cartoonish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly the, what the, I thought. It reminded yeah. me like of a really really shitty Saturday morning cartoon. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I got from it. Although I will say that I really liked Storm. Yeah. And I didn't realize that she like I didn't know her name. So when they were introducing her. This character, I was like, oh, this is cool. This looks like Storm. Why are they calling her this? I was just... Ororo. Yeah, that's her name. I didn't know that. Things I, yeah. things I learned and during during reading this comic, I was like, oh, cool. I never knew that. That's really neat. I thought that it was interesting that there were not a lot of female characters in this comic. I don't know why I'm surprised. I thought, but I thought there were more female X-Men. There are tons more. But there I guess are- they don't get introduced until later. No, uh, listening to the podcast and remembering what I read, like for the first few years, I think was the first X-Men comics was 1963 and then they had a run until 1970. Then they stopped for five years. Then they brought it back to this new team in 1975. For the first run, there was only one X-Men, which was, who was Jean Grey, Marvel Girl, who appears in this one. And, you know, she was the girl. That's who she was. But eventually she becomes a much bigger character and she becomes much more powerful as well. Uh, and then they bring a lot more 
female characters and Storm remains one of the biggest ones and you have Kitty Pride and you have Rogue quite a quite a lot more. And then uh, in this comic the actually the hero of this comic ended up being the women, which I thought was really interesting. Yes. The people who finally defeat that island. Yeah. Which is really weird to say, like they defeated an island. It yeah. makes sense in the comic, guys. But, but in the history of X-Men, the women are quite often the most powerful mutants. Jean Grey becomes the phoenix at one point, and that is the most powerful being in the universe. That's cool. Although I remember this from a movie where they like... Don't remember this from a movie. Oh, Please. you don't... Know, I should erase the movie from my mind. I got really mad at that movie because I went yes. and saw it in theaters and that, ha- and some, that yes. happened. And I was like, what the F, movie? No. Are you fucking kidding me? I was so mad. And that's yes. the last time I went to see an X-Men movie in a theater. Yes, we don't talk about that one. It's kind of like Matrix 2 and 3. We don't... But I like... Or Indiana Jones 4. But I liked Matrix 2, sort of. <laughs> You're like, uh, defriended. I'm... <laughs> I'm surprised you're like, I'm surprised you didn't try to fire me right then. Unfollow. Oh, my feelings. But yeah, another thing that um, they were talking about in the podcast is what you said about the the guys being really assholes. So you have three characters here that actually behave and talk pretty much the same way. So Wolverine, uh, Sunfire, and Apache. So basically, they are snarky assholes. And by the end of this run, I think the next issue, they will kill the Native American one. Oh no! What? Because that, that can only be one asshole. So they kept Wolverine, and they killed one of the few people of color in the comics. Also, I will note that this comic was so fucking racist. <laughs> okay, I know. It was so like. I was just like, as soon as, what's, I forget his name, John Proudstar? Yes, John Proudstar. Yeah, they named, and, I, and as soon, I was like, oh no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I read a lot of, I read a lot of stuff when I was taking my Native Peoples class, and like a lot of like popular culture stuff about Native, Native Americans, and I yeah. just, like, I was in the archives, and I was just sitting there like having, like, sh- like, having anxiety shakes and sweating because I was so uncomfortable with all I was like oh god and I just I I just had a flashback as soon as I saw the character I'm like no it's this again and I knew exactly the stuff that they were gonna say I knew exactly the jokes they were gonna make yeah and I was just like wow oh wow I was so uncomfortable so uncomfortable every time that character appeared I'm just like I'm so sorry character it was so wrong yeah and then he gets killed in the next issue, apparently, because... Oh, good. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Good job, yep. Marvel. Yep. I don't know. It yeah. was pretty entertaining. It was pretty entertaining. I liked... I like. I mean, I liked it. I liked it a lot more, like, the second half, a lot more than the first. Yeah. <laughs> Where the ladies got to be badass and take, take down the bad guy. That was awesome. I will always sign up for that. So, would you would you read more? Yeah, I probably would. I liked it a lot. Oh, cool. I'm curious. I bet... That Marvel Unlimited probably has some X-Men stuff, and I could read... Probably. Apparently, Renee, the Storm, the new Storm run is really good. She has a new trade that has a story of her going back to Africa. Maybe we should read that. Maybe we should investigate. Maybe we should. But, you know, the island is a mutant itself. Krakoa! 
the island that walks like a man. <laughs> and then at the end, the island apparently gets jettisoned into space. I know. I was like, well, that's pretty cool, I guess. That's a way to take care of your enemies, just jettison them into space. So, bye, guys. Well, they do they do that a lot, actually. They jettison a things into of, space. A lot of things get thrown The X-Men space. better never go to space, because if they do, they're going to get fucked well, up. But, no, but they do. There's a lot of stories in space. Well, like, they've, they've ejected <laughs> a bunch of bad guys into space. It's not as and, safe for them. Like, Cyclops' father is a space pirate. Oh my god. Corsair is his name. Yeah. Does that mean They're that Cyclops at- and uh, Star-Lord are related? Uh, who knows? <laughs> who I mean, if the, is Star-Lord's father possibly. like a space person? Yes. Possibly. You're like, <laughs> I'm not reading that fanfic, Renee. Go away. <laughs> well, you know, there is, th- there is this thing, apparently, this running gag about... The Summers brothers, because Cyclops, his name is Scott Summers, and he has a brother called Alex Summers. And there is a third brother that we didn't know that was his brother, if he was his brother or not. But there was this running thing where is this person a Summers brother? So maybe Star Lord is a Summers brother. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> Who knows? Oh boy, X Men. Things I thought I would ne- like. <laughs> things I thought I would never read, and here I am anyway. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Such a pleasure. Even though giant size X Men is decades old, it is not available on Marvel Unlimited for some reason. Or maybe oh, it might be. <laughs> it might be, but maybe I can't it find it. Okay, if anyone can find that, and if you want to read this, I dare you to, because it's awesome. And now moving on to our next segment, which is brought to you by the traitor Baru Cormorant by Seth Dickinson. Or rather, by reviews of the traitor Baru Cormorant, specifically the reviews recently written by Forrest Meadows and Liz Burke. Those reviews crushed our expectations about the book, which in my case at least were pretty damn high, but also made us think about our relationship with reviews as readers and how they can affect our decision to read a book or not. So, Renee, the story goes that, as you remember, I was super excited about this book. I really wanted to read it. I had it on my to-be-read list and my wish list and all of my lists and my most highly anticipated book of 2015 because the reviews up until a couple of weeks ago had been brilliant and that in a way actually goes into what we are talking about because the reviews had been brilliant I wanted to read the book and then these two reviews from Forest Meadows and Liz Burke came within a couple of days of each other, I think, and completely destroyed any desire I had of ever reading that book. For those who don't know, so apparently this book is set in a different society than ours, and Baru Cormorant is the main character, and she's queer in a world where she comes from, it's okay to be queer, but they are colonized by a another another country, another empire or whatever. And they are absolutely against 
queer people, I guess. They are homophobes. The story goes that she has to... She's going to fight against that empire from inside, but the circumstances are such that it's a matter of she cannot show that she's queer or she will get killed. And uh, the reviews by Forest Meadows and Lisburg examined and interact with this idea of characters that basically exist to suffer for being queer. This is a direct quote from Lisburg's review. And that actually quite spoke to me quite, you know, strongly. I am not queer, but of course I feel strongly about it. Basically, those reviews killed my desire to read that book. And I have been thinking about the reaction since I read those reviews and why did I react like this? And how often do I react like this when reading reviews and how important reviews by people I trust are for my reading life? So I wanted to bring this up and see how do you feel about those? Did you read those reviews? Do you want to read the book after reading those reviews? Well, we can go there. appropriately, as we just start the discussion, the skies have opened up behind me and there's outrageous thunder and storms. So, this the, the weather has seen fit to put a atmosphere on our discussion. <laughs> like, I first heard about this book because I followed Cameron Hurley's reviews on Goodreads. And she gave it five stars. And I'm like, oh, that sounds neat. I've taken her at Rex before. I'm really careful about taking her Rex because she reads a lot of stuff that I'm not into. She's way more into like grimdark stuff than I am, so um, yeah. like so I wanted to be careful. Um, so I just I'm, I noted it because it sounded really interesting, and then Liz made a comment to me about it because she was reading it before. Like she even wrote a review, she made a comment. Okay. I was like, oh, because I remember I like ruined your excitement when you talked about it. I'm like, yes. hey, I've heard some bad things about that book. Once Liz told me that, I knew I wasn't going to read the book. Before her review even came out, I knew I wasn't going to read the book. Because I'm sick of reading stories where queer people, th- where queer people, you know, get hurt and die and suffer or whatever. I went through this earlier this year. Whoa. Hey, guys. It's still, like, sunny outside. How <laughs> <laughs> bizarre. <laughs> I went through this earlier this year because I read Stranger by Rachel Brown and Sherwood Smith. Um, I made this comment about how this queer character gets hurt and uh, I'm, I commented on it, how I was just really tired of reading narratives where queer, you know, queer characters like recognize their feelings and something bad happens to them. And a lot of people yeah. took like issue with that reaction. And because of the fact that I'm really not into reading books where queer people like have these things happen to them while other people don't really have to suffer in the same ways, uh, maybe it was, like, unfair to Stranger, because it's YA, and I'm sure there's way more, like, I'm sure, like, the queer YA is getting a lot better, and it's not, it's not an adult SF book. Adult SF has a huge problem, especially, like, mainstream books. So after Stranger, there was another book that came out, right? It's called City of Stairs by Robert Jackson yep. Bennett, and everybody gave this amazing reviews. Amazing reviews. And everybody loved it, and I was like, great, I have to read it. And I read a lot of reviews of this book before I read it. 
because I'm really careful with books that I'm in. It, it, all the reviews were great, and I picked it up and I read it, and spoilers, there's a queer character, and something horrible happens to him. And I think we discussed this before. Yeah, we did, yes. And I was like, if I had read reviews and a review had talked about that, I wouldn't have read the book. I don't need that. I mean, I love City of Stairs. I thought it was wonderful. But if it had been in a review, I wouldn't have read the book. I would have, like, I wish somebody had put put it in a review because as wonderful as City of Stairs is, I don't need that. I don't need it, right? There's plenty of other books with queer characters out there where, you know, they don't die. They don't suffer. They're not punished for being queer. The reviews are really important to me. And a lot of times, most people, because they're either you know, biased or they're straight, don't notice. And yeah. so they don't talk about it. And the thing that gets me about this book specifically is that I first heard about it through Cameron Hurley, who wrote a book called God's War. And she had a queer character. Well, something bad happened to that queer character. And nice. she's made statements in the past saying, well, yeah, this is a problem. This is not good. I, I screwed up. And now she's going to wreck this book. The, where these queer characters are just exist to suffer because they're queer and give it five stars. That's what upsets me, right? That some reviews are so, sometimes so misleading and yeah. that people are so blind to some of their biases that they'll just ignore some things that are really problematic because they don't see them. And I'm sure I do it too. But like in this case... The reviews are just so far apart. Like, you have these five-star... It's, it's only five stars so far. Amazing. reads. This book is great. It's perfect. It's wonderful. But then you have, you know, Foz and Liz going, Wait, guys. This is this is a problem. And the, the disconnect is so huge. It is. But my question to you is this. This is what I've been mulling inside my head. What if the rest of the series is about this main character fixing all that and becoming the heroic queer person that will bring down the empire and free all of the queer people? I have a question in return. When you okay. read the great, when you read the Grace of Kings and the women didn't show up until the end, yeah. will you continue reading the series if the women are more important in book two? <laughs> it's the same thing, right? The same question. Yeah. Do you put like do you put up with an opening that dehumanizes the its queer characters or its women just to get to the second part where they triumph? Yeah. Like what at what point do we have to stop putting up with the marginalization just to get the crumbs of representation in another book? Yeah. No, yeah, you have a point. Yes, absolutely. And, and, I mean, it's some people choose to do that, and that's absolutely okay, but I just don't want to do it anymore. No, it's tiring, yeah. I There's so much to read out there, and I have so little energy and time for reading anyway that I don't want to have to go... Like, when I read City of Stairs and the, the thing that happened to the Quick Harper happened, I cried. I was so discouraged. I mean, it was a sad moment, but I wasn't just crying because it was a sad moment. I was crying because, again, again, somebody who's like me, who's queer, who has same-sex desires, is being tortured. I'm sick of it. I mean, no, queer characters aren't made of glass. We can, we should, we we absolutely should be 
you know, hurt, killed, and whatever else. But when there's only a few, a handful of us in a narrative, you have to make really tough decisions about what that means. Yeah. When you do that to queer characters or women, even. Yeah, absolutely. Or people of color. Yes, absolutely. So that's where I come down on this. And I understand what happens. And maybe the author thought that, I mean, maybe he thought he was, and I don't know anything about this author. I have not looked them up at all. So I don't want to state anything about their intentions. But like in some of these cases, when you're reading in a community like SF and we're already having problems with representation, intent doesn't matter. Because nobody's going to know what, like, nobody's going to know what no. his intent yeah. was. We're all we're going to, all we're going to be able to take to that is our own experiences of reading books where people like us were murdered, killed, tortured, made miserable. And in, and in this, in this specific instance, for being queer, yeah. it's not even as a, as a side you know, because of the world building or something, uh, people get killed. It's just those people will get killed and tortured because they are queer. So it's kind of like level up of shitness, which is, I think, not good. Yeah, I know. And I know I do it too. I know I do it too with books that are about people of color. I'm sure I've ignored things that happened that are really not good and then celebrated a book for being whatever. And that's yeah. not what I'm saying. I'm saying, like, I am totally fine with people reading this book and liking it if they want to. I just, for my part, this is why I use reviews. Like, this is, yes. a, re- this is a reason that I follow certain reviewers who are looking at specific intersections in their reading so I can go to them and be like, well, okay, hey, have you read this? Does it have X, Y, Z? It's like, it's kind of like having tags on fanfic, right? That's kind of how reviewers operate in this community. They provide some context for you. Yeah. And so that's why reviews are really valuable. That's why reviews from people I trust are really, really valuable. Exactly. This is, this is the same thing for me. And I, and I realize, I think, with those reviews, how valuable they are to me and how much they impact my decisions. And of course, then you have people going like, but why don't you give it a try anyway if you are so excited about it? Why would you not still give the book a chance? And it was like, but this is the point of reviews to me. If I trust a reviewer and I see what they, I see what they see in that specific book and, I, and what makes they, them upset will make me upset as well. Why would I put myself through that? There's no reason. That's, I mean, that's why reviews exist. Yes, exactly. And that's how I use uh, reviews as well. I mean, if if two, I mean, and especially in this case, where we have a lot of five-star reviews from people, like people that I would trust to see these issues and be like, whoa, hey, this is book's good, but it has this problem. You know, you have all these five-star reviews and these celebration of this book but then on the utter, utter opposite end, you have, you know, two people who are very attuned to these issues saying, whoa, hey, no. And so, yeah, like, you, you have a collection of reviews. You're, you have a sample. It's not, you're, you're not making a decision based on, Air. you know, yeah. just one perspective. We, like, especially in the case of this book, there's so much positivity about it. But the fact that so many of those positive reviews don't mention this aspect at all is isn't that weird is 
but these but Foz and Liz, their reviews do. That's a huge red flag to me that says, whoa, these positive reviews aren't seeing something that's going to upset me. I can't trust them, these specific reviews. They're they're not aware of this problem. It's not their fault because it's because, I mean, if you have biases, you have biases. If yes, you're not a queer person, said. you're not going to see. Sometimes even if you are queer, maybe it's not going to affect you the same way. In this case, um, I would, I'm just going to have, like, in this case, I'm definitely going to go with the two reviews that actually take into account something that's going to upset me a lot. I don't need it. And I'm really grateful for reviews that point it out when it happens. Yeah. And I find it really interesting as well because their reviews are so useful and they are so well written and they are so well reasoned as well. But they go through a lot of hoops in their reviews. You know, first of all, talking about all the positives and how good the writing is in the interest of fairness and and a lot of caveats. You know, I, I only read this. I only read this part of the novel. I didn't read the whole thing. So maybe you feel different. And I th- I feel like when you are writing a critical review like that, it ends up being negative, a negative review in the end. You kind of try to justify so much what you are doing well you also have to and you don't in a way that you don't do when you are writing a mostly positive review yeah you have to in this community because if you don't because you are fucked right you are attacked people come at you like you're satan and you're trying to destroy the livelihood of this author and it's because this has gone through that already and and it's, it's because authors are so I mean, I mean, I know what happens is because fans online, Jonathan wrote an essay about this, how like authors have had to commodify themselves. And so when you write a critical review, their fans who treat them like a product get really mad because you don't like, like, because they see it as like abuse of, of a sort. And it's really, it's really strange to me. And not good for critical discourse at all. No. So the fact that, yeah, I mean... I mean, when, like, of... look at my City of Stairs review, right? When I wrote it, I was re- like, I was really, really positive about that book. And I still, I still got agonizingly abusive comments. Now, and, I, and I've wrecked that, and even though I had a problem with that book, I've wrecked that book to people. I mean, I've done it with caveats, but I've still got, like, I've hand-sold that book to people. But yet, the people who left me those comments were just like, they were homophobic and they were hateful. And I mean, if you don't, even if, and sometimes even if you do this claim, it doesn't do any good. That's a big problem with our community, but. Mm. Yeah, it makes you, you know, hesitant to write more negative reviews or thoughtful and reviews. Maybe, and I mean, and, uh, yeah, maybe that's why people don't cover it. I don't know. Maybe that's why people don't. I feel like, most people will avoid if they don't like something if they find problems with something they, they would probably not write anything about it so sometimes you see it's really interesting to me and sometimes you see a big book coming out by a popular author and then you have glaring misses like reviews that are not there mm-hmm. by certain reviewers because they didn't like the and book, you've... but they're too afraid to say anything. Exactly. I've done that before, so... Yeah. I don't blame them. Nope. 
so but it's interesting but in a way it kind of like colors our community as well because those reviews are missing right. those critical negative i they are important they are so important because now I am not going to read a book that I feel like it's not... For me, it's actually making... It's actually better for the author, probably, that I'm not going to be writing a review of this book. Right, because then you would, you would have to... And it better for you, too, <laughs> because you had to jump to the hoops. Yes. Uh, disclaimer. Exactly. Because you, really, you came... Really like yeah, because, like, if you came to the book with from this position, you would already, it would already have a strike yes. against it. So you would, like, when you're writing your review, you had to disclaim, this is how I came to this book. Like, yeah. you would have to do all this, you had to go through this rigmarole of... Yeah, full disclosures. Yes. Yeah, getting to a point where you could even begin to criticize it. And and I'm wondering now if that's a gender thing. Because I'm, I'm really curious, because I don't see, I just, I don't follow enough men who are reviewing anymore my the, the the men reviewing that i know it's like a super small handful so i don't know if this if this is a thing that only we're going through because we're women or we're genderqueer non-binary and we're just not we're getting you know we're getting the rough end of the stick because we're we're suffering from a a lack of privilege so we have to be extra careful be extra careful hmm could be well, I've just opened another whole can of worms. You're oh. welcome. <laughs> Aren't we thoughtful? Well, I guess this was like a sort of like a whole advertisement for this book. I don't know. Maybe maybe somebody will just get curious and go read it anyway. So maybe exactly. maybe we did. Sorry, book that we're not going to read you. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe somebody will. Maybe that be maybe they'll be like, I don't care about that. I'm going to go read it. It is what it is, I guess. And um. What it is is that I will be reading it. That's okay. So, There's plenty of other books. There are so many other books. So that kind of like opens up one day in my schedule. One day in your schedule. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's going to take you a... Uh, you, you read that fast. It takes you a day to read a book. I'm jealous. Uh, probably. Yeah, no. Hold on. Two days. Okay. That's fair. I was going to be like, I'm super jealous. Okay. Two days. <laughs> but then I can fit another book. Is there anything else you would like to talk about? Nope, that's it. I, I think I've vomited my feelings all over you. Yeah, and my feelings over you as well. Okay. So what about you? How do you interact with reviews? Do you have go-to reviewers that you trust? Share your thoughts and recommendations with us. We'd love to hear and get more lists into our already full lists of things. Yay! So with that, it's a wrap and it's recommendation time. What do you have for us this week, Renee? So I've been reading a bunch of like identity porn stories in the MCU. And so I basically raided the Steve Tony tag on AO3 and went through and found some stories where Iron Man's identity is a secret. Because I, I haven't read a, I haven't read Marvel Comics 616 universe but I read a lot of the fic in it, which is probably weird. <laughs> this is so weird. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I'll eventually read the comics. It's fine. But in like the early comics, Iron Man's identity is not known. Like, they don't know each other's identity. Oh. Or, that's wrong. They know who Steve is, but Steve doesn't know that Iron Man and Tony Stark are the same person. So anyway, there's this story. It's like a, it's like a, it's a soulmate story where the... The first words you speak to your soulmate are, like, written on your body in their handwriting. So this is a basically a story. The story is called Slipping Off the Page Into Your Hands by Sunilla. And 
it's really it's really long actually it's like sixty-eight thousand words oh my god but it's so like it's so cute he steve wakes up in the future and he meets his soulmate who is iron man but he doesn't know that iron man and tony stark are the same person so they just go like they go into this like little dance and they try to like tony tries to keep it tries to keep it a secret and then steve is also attracted to tony and iron man both so he's like miserable about it and it's basically this it's really angsty and cute and i liked it a lot and you're over there going what the hell <laughs> well you know tweets their own i guess <laughs> i think you would find the story really cute if you read it would i okay. i think you would it's really cute is it as cute as bucky and the baby uh no it's not that cute because okay. it, because it was bucky and a baby but it's also pretty cute Okay. Just because, I mean, because it's like, it's got a plot. Like, there's like a, there's like a really long overarching plot and there's a lot of like miscommunication and I love miscommunication. Miscommunication sometimes is really good, but sometimes really frustrates me. But in this story, it's okay. Okay. All right. I I mean, not that you have really have time to read like a 70,000 Steve Tony. Oh my God. There's a whole book, Renee. It is a whole book. It's really good. It's a whole book. Well, my recommendation is not cute at all. It's quite dark and sad. It's about the end of the world. And a world that has actually ended multiple times. Which is really neat. And fantastic. And it's the fifth season by N.K. Jemsin. I love her books. I've read all of them. And I've fallen in love with her writing since her first novel, The 100,000 Kingdoms. Just amazing. This new one is kind of like, it's reminiscent of her first novel in a way that powered people are enslaved and controlled, except in this one, they don't really see themselves as powered, but they do control the earth itself. It's kind of like, if you if you watched Avatar The Last Airbender, imagine that this book, this world is populated by earthbenders, which are the best benders, in my opinion. So, you know, it's like kind of like Earthbenders as written by N.K. Jemsin with fantastic narrative modes, including whole sections in second person and amazing characters. Highly recommend. If you haven't read her books yet, you can start here. It's a fantastic place to start. It's the start of a new trilogy. The fifth season. We will be talking about it here on this very podcast, won't we, Renee? Yes, we will. It's going to be great. I'm excited. Yeah, it's great. Have you read her other books as well? You I've have, re- right? I've read The Killing Moon, which was excellent. It's my favorite book yeah. by her. I've read The Hundred Thousand Kingdoms. I've read The Broken Kingdoms. And I'm actually currently reading The Kingdom of the Gods. All right. Okay. Currently. You have to read Shadowed Sun. That is amazing as well. Oh my god, all of her books are amazing people. Who so this has just turned into uh, N.K. Jemison Love Fest at the end here. Uh, you're Appreciation all Appreciation week, yes, exactly. Fangirl Happy Hour is Renee Greens and me, Anna Grillo. Renee is also our producer. Without her, we would not be here. You'll find links to some of our discussion topics in our show notes at fangirlhappyhour.com. You can email us at fangirlhappyhour at gmail.com 
We love hearing from you, especially if you tell us about your favorite reviewers and review blogs. You can find us on Tumblr and Facebook at Fangirl Happy Hour, one long word, no spaces. If you like our page and our posts, we melt inside. If you like the show, we'd love if you drop it by iTunes and leave a review. They help us so more people can find us. Once they find us, their to-be-read list is within our grasp. Help us influence readers worldwide in our quest for world domination. You can chat with us on Twitter at Fangirl Podcasts. This week's question, if you could be an X-Men, what would be your power? This week's 20th century book recommendation is Dawn by Octavia Butler. Our music is by Boxcat Games. Our logo is by the very talented Era. You can commission them at justera.tumblr.com. For both myself and Renee, thanks for listening. See you next episode.